Welcome to the Gifts for Glory podcast, where we celebrate and promote men and women using their gifts for God's glory. Know someone who is making an impact for God's kingdom using their gifts, talents, and passions? We'd love to meet them. Send us an email at podcast at giftsforglory.com. That's podcast at gifts, the number four, glory.com. And now here is our host, Dave Ebert. Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome to the latest edition of the Gifts for Glory podcast. So glad that you're with us when you're watching live on our Facebook page of Gifts for Glory, live on YouTube, or you're catching us on the Creative Motion Network, or you're even listening to us on any uh, podcast platform. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to have you along with us. Got a great show, great conversation we're going to have this evening with our guest, uh, Dr. Mike Savage. It's going to be a, a really good conversation and a really a great story and testimony about the power of God's love and redemption. Uh, as we get started, I want to give a huge shout out uh, to Felicity Joy at Felicity Joy Media and the Black Conservative Female Show for being our Patreon supporter. Uh, find her on Facebook, blackconservativefemale.com, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash LC. Uh, so, uh, Felicity, thank you so much for uh, supporting what we do. If you want to uh, get involved and support what we do, uh, you can uh, visit us at patreon.com slash gifts for glory. Gifts, the number four glory. And uh, we, we would truly appreciate your support in making this podcast and our different ministries possible. Uh, and that, uh, of course, includes our comedy ministry. Uh, we're getting ready for 2022. We're taking booking. So if you're interested in uh, uh, booking entertainment for an outreach, uh, for a, a fundraiser, uh, anything like that, a youth lock-in, uh, appreciation night for your staff, uh, give us a call, give us an email, uh, find us at wellversedcomedy.com or on Facebook at wellversedcmdy. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram at wellversedcmdy. And uh, let's connect. Let's talk about how we can use improv, whether it's a workshop or a performance, to make a difference in your ministry, in your church, uh, and uh, uh, maybe an outreach event that you have going on. So we'd love to talk to you about how we can make that happen. Uh, we travel all over the Midwest. We've done uh, gutties in, in Indianapolis. Uh, we've performed in and around Chicagoland. So uh, we're, uh, we have comedy and we're ready to travel. So uh, uh, contact us and let's talk about that. Now let's move on to our Devotions with Dave segment for tonight. Uh, you know, we are in, of course, the uh, Christmas season. Uh, so you'll notice a little bit more decoration. We got a uh, stocking in front of us, uh, of course, celebrating my Chicago Cubs uh, winning the 2016 World Series. And you see my uh, defense mechanism. Uh, our cat is deciding he wants to invade the program, uh, but uh, don't want him on right now because he might knock something over. So let's get on to our vo- devotions with Dave segment tonight. Uh, coming from Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 41, Luke 1, 41. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Some really interesting things right there that God's revealing through that passage to me, especially given given what's happening currently in the Supreme Court, the Dobbs case, where I think it it should be a no-brainer that if you call Christ your Savior, if you believe in the Word of God, that there are ample examples of why we should believe that a baby is a baby in the womb as much as it is outside the womb. So here we have a prime example that John the Baptist, who is in Mary's belly, in Elizabeth's uh, uh, womb, John leaps when Mary comes in the room 
And here's Mary's greeting because he recognizes that Mary is carrying the savior of the world. And because of his recognition, it inspires and creates this moment where the Holy Spirit enters into Elizabeth. So it's a, it's a powerful moment. It's only one verse, but it tells us so much. And it just reaffirms that we as Christians should recognize that the baby that's in the womb is as much a baby as it is outside the womb. And we should pray that not only the, the legal system uh, does what's right and protects the right of the baby. Uh, even at 15 weeks, I think that's a you know that's that's a, a mild victory. Uh, but we should also pray to an end of the abortion industry as a whole, and that has to happen because of changed hearts and minds. And we as Christians need to get unified behind that. I believe uh, because it is it is so important. We are supposed to defend the defenseless, speak for the cause of the widows and the orphans and, and those that don't have a voice. And so uh, right here, God's showing us that he is reaffirming that a baby is a baby, whether it's inside the womb or out. And that is our Devotions with Dave segment tonight, Luke 1, 41. And now uh, we'll bring on our guest at this time. Uh, the uh, uh, Mike Savage is a former radio personality. Uh, television news anchor in uh, Criminal Mastermind. Uh, he served 15 years, two months, and 28 days in federal prison for international money laundering. Uh, crime was crime is his old life. Uh, there's no glory there. There's no celebration there. There's no cool moments there. But what was cool is that God got a hold of him and has changed his life. And we're going to hear all about that testimony here tonight as we welcome uh, my friend, uh, Mike Savage. Mike, welcome to the Gifts of Glory podcast. Thank you, Dave. Thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate it very much. Absolutely. And it's a long favor uh, to be returned uh, since uh, I was on your program about a year ago uh, with you and your uh, awesome wife. And uh, we had a, a great time. And it's kind of my negligence that I haven't had you back, had you on my show. Well, the world's been a little busy the last year, haven't they? So, I mean, I think we can be forgiven for that. Just a little bit, uh, just a little bit. Uh, so uh, you're actually uh, in uh, Arkansas, is that right? No. Oh, no. Louisiana, no. that's right. Oh, no. No. No, no. I am 0 for 2, my goodness. The great was, state of Texas, Dave, the great state of Texas. Texas. That's right. Okay. We live on Padre Island in the great state of Texas. Well, not part of the great state of Texas. There's a bit of water in between, but that's that's where Cynthia and I live, yes. Perfect. Uh, so you are, uh, I mentioned you are a doctor. Uh, tell us about what you do uh, there, because uh, you're a professor and, and a podcast host. Uh, tell us about uh, uh, the doctorate and, and what you do and where you're at. Sure. I actually have a couple of doctorates, a doctorate in theology that I earned uh, while I was in prison because I had time to do that sort of thing, you know. Uh, and then when I got out, I finished up with a doctorate in psychology. So I can mess with your theology and your mind at the same time. <laughs> and so I'm an adjunct professor, and I teach classes in in both of those areas. Um, I, I know that uh, uh, you know being incarcerated and having that time. But which was the harder doctor to pursue, the one the uh, the first one or the, or the second one? Well, the first one I think because it tested my theology, what I believed, what I didn't believe. Um, I really wanted to learn a lot about early church practice, why we do the things we do, why do we meet on Sunday mornings, why do we meet on Wednesday nights. Uh, all that sort of thing. Where did we go from having all things in common and meeting in people's uh, homes and doing that sort of thing to putting up a building and, and you know, meeting there and, and trying to incorporate 
uh, familial attitudes uh, in, in, a, in a corporate setting like that. So that was the one that tested me the most, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. With psychology, look, it's a matter of learning the theories. Uh, it's learning why people think the way they do, um, that sort of thing. And that's a little easier. It's a little more cut and dried. But when your theology is being tested, when, when you're a relatively new Christian and all of a sudden the, the chaplain says, you should really be in seminary, Mm -hmm. um, I really wasn't sure what seminary was at that time. And then him telling me, you know, I think you're called to be a pastor, uh, which, which I wasn't, you know, and I look, it's one of my first prayers in the morning. Thank you for not making me a pastor because they have enormously different jobs than anybody expects and learning to teach and, and, and being able to communicate the word of God and also teaching psychology from a Christian perspective as well has been enormously uh, helpful to me. Did you find that having uh, your doctorate in theology and then going into psychology, was there a lot of uh, contradiction? Was there a lot of uh, tension between those two uh, trains of thought? I'm actually teaching a class now called Psychology in the Christian Faith at a, at a college. And um, no, no. And, and I'll tell you why. Uh, when we talk about renewing the mind, you know, it talks about in Romans, you know, minds being renewed. Uh, wouldn't it be helpful to understand how the mind worked, you know, how, what is it, what is it about the mind that causes us to remember things? How do we learn things? Uh, how do we forget things? How do we get through difficult times in life? You know, that sort of thing. And, and so for me, the idea of, of psychology, it wasn't in conflict at all. If it came into conflict anywhere with scripture, I knew that the science was wrong. You know, it was, mm -hmm. <laughs> there was no problems. Right. Um, but the reason I didn't become a professional counselor was because in order to do that, um, you have to affirm certain things uh, that I wasn't willing to affirm. And so I'll do pastoral counseling. You know, I'll, I'll talk with people informally, that sort of thing, uh, and, and use it that way. But the, the whole process of psychology is learning how the mind works. And it's amazing when you consider how God has designed our mind to work within us. It's, it, it takes that whole evolution thing. You go, yeah, no, that's not going to work. Uh, somebody had to make this. And, and so it's, it's, it's really affirmed my faith by reaching into that secular uh, yeah. area. Now, do my colleagues agree with me that, that in psychology? Else? No, 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 not usually. Um, am I looked askance with, with some of the people in the church because uh, he's probably teaching about Freud? Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I get it from both ends, which means I must be doing something right in my, in my particular case. If I'm getting it from the secular and I'm also getting it from the church. You know, I get it, and, and that's mm -hmm. fine. But I was just fascinated by it, and I remain fascinated to this day how God has allowed our mind and body to work together, and what it means when a person's uh, renewed. You know, when you're when you're born again, what happens then? You know, and, and how is this process works with with people's understanding and their cognition? So, I look, I love it. It, it may it may drive colleagues crazy, but the students seem to be getting it, so it's it's, it's working well. Very nice. Did, and maybe this is a weird question to ask, but as you studied how the mind works, was there ever a moment where you started to realize, you know, thing about your, your previous life, how your mindset led you into that path? Did you learn stuff about yourself through that process? I did. I learned what a fallen nature is all about. Mm. Yeah, I, I learned about this idea that, that it's all about me. It's all about what I can do, how I appear, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, the, the lying that I did to keep the crime separate from my family, I better understood my motivation for doing that rather than I just didn't want to get caught or I didn't want them to get into trouble. 
I understood what it is to be driven by a secular world into doing things that, that are absolutely wrong, absolutely wrong. But at the time, I'm rationalizing them for this is how I provide with my family. And this is how, this is how I help them. This is how I provide for them. <clears throat> so, I mean, yeah, I learned a lot about fallen nature. Um, and, and the more I study and the more I've learned, continue to study, continue to learn, both through scripture and through science, this, this, I'm <laughs> eventually, Dave, someday those two are going to come together and they're going to, we're going to respect one another with the idea of God gave people who are lost and secular in this world, still gave them duties and responsibilities that led to his glory. Mm -hmm. If you made a donkey talk, he can certainly use, you know, secular scientists to, to affirm the, the, the faith that we have. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, th this is kind of the precursor to the testimony part, but, uh, you know, briefly, and it's my, my theory, my belief that nobody falls into sin. It's a gradual walk. It's one compromise after another that leads to that. Would you say that that was accurate about your path to that lifestyle? I think so. Yeah. I mean, when I got out of high school, I was determined to be a lawyer. Okay, I was going to be a lawyer. I was going to go to school, be a lawyer. I took my first class. I was like, eh, <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is too much work. You know, this is too much work. Second class was psychology, which stuck with me. Okay. For mm -hmm. some reason, it stuck in my head. And I've always been pretty good at reading people. And and right now, I guess we call it the gift of discernment, the idea mm -hmm. of knowing when you're being lied to, but, but it was really honed over a period of time, but I was lazy. I was basically lazy. And so the easy way out was to go into broadcasting. You know, you and I have talked before uh, in high school, I was into uh, plays and uh, singing musicals, do all that kind of stuff. And I enjoyed being the center of attention and that morphed into being the center of a kind of a criminal enterprise that was going on. And it was one step after another of being lazy and, and crime was an easy way to go as opposed to, I have to study and pass tests. Nah, not, not, no. And it's funny that I came back to it later in life and, and embraced it and try to help students to embrace it as well. This idea of study and learning and understanding and comprehending what's going on. So yeah, it was, it was tiny steps that led to bigger steps that led to the downfall. Yes. So let's get into the testimony. Um, did um, was there any Christian influence in your life before uh, going to jail and, and going th through prison, or was it uh, a complete fresh start? Well, my parents were occasional attenders of of a church. Of church. Uh, Dad, <clears throat> early on, was a deacon in a church, and I didn't get any of it. You know, my deal. I liked playing football. Um, that was my thing when I was younger, a uh, lot of enthusiasm, too little talent, which is why it hurts to get up on occasion now. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the idea behind it was, okay, I'll go, but I really don't want to go. And then when I kind of reached an age where I said, yeah, I really don't want to go. Okay. You don't have to go. And so there wasn't this 10 commandments, um, you know, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior. There wasn't this gospel of Jesus Christ. There wasn't all this kind of, none of that. It was a, you know, I would sit there and wait for it to be over, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to a couple of, of, of the, the youth group things that they had back then and realized that I had nothing in common with these, these, these guys. You know, some were, were pastor's kids. Others were you know, raised in the church. Everybody was very active. And I had nothing in common with them. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, didn't, I didn't connect. Now, 
was that their fault? No, of course not. <laughs> of course right. it wasn't there. They're doing the best they could, right? But I just really didn't connect on that level at all. And then once I was out of their influence, it was, you know, that was, that was pretty much it. Um, just, just wasn't interested, didn't get it. I probably heard lots of preaching and lots of teaching and just had never soaked in at all. N- none, none at all. Mm-hmm. So in many ways you were the, the rocky soil where the, the seed just lands on top and never takes root. I think so. That's probably a good way of putting it. I mean, I just, I heard it, but you know, so what, you know, I, I want to go play football or I want to watch it on TV or I want to go mess around with my friends. I mean, I wasn't, it just didn't sink in at all with me. Then uh, you get into life, you go to college and you real you, you step into this, this life where the, you know, the former Mike Savage. Uh, yeah. Then yeah. go for it. No, uh, I, I wanted to be a broadcaster. That was yeah. my deal. This is, it was easy. It was easy to be a broadcaster. You know, I could talk all day long. Talk radio was just beginning to take off. I've been a news anchor for the world's smallest CBS affiliate. Um, I'd done all that kind of stuff, you know, and so I get it. And I liked arguing with people and I liked having guests on, talking with them and going back and forth. And doing. And it was it, that was easy. It wasn't hard at all. And mm-hmm. I was the center of attention. Right. You know, I, I was pretty much raised an only child. I have a, a sister that's 11 years older than I am. So I was pretty much raised an only child. So I was used to being the focus of attention. So being on radio, being on TV, you know, people recognize you. They know you. Yep, that's me. And, and going through, through all that, it was easy. It, was, it just came naturally to me. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the pride. That was the ego. That was all that stuff. And I became, now the one problem was you didn't earn a lot of money in broadcasting back then. Okay. Right. Did not. And I remember complaining to one of my guests one time and, and the guest said, I have an idea. I could show you something that you could do to make more money. Hmm. And that's the slippery slope that I fell down. And that's the slope that led me to serious crime. I mean, serious crime and made me a person that I didn't even know existed within me. I didn't even know that that person was there until you start. Once you're in, you're in. Okay. Right. And and you have to make decisions. You have to do things. You have to be a certain way. And I didn't even know that was in me. Now I can look back and say, he's fallen nature. It's a progression, it's a steps, all of those things like you were describing and justifying what I was doing based upon what I thought I needed to do. Right. So uh, what happened that, that led you to finally get, you know, that get caught and get sent away? Um, uh, how, how did that happen? Cynthia was, my wife, was pregnant with our youngest child. Uh, we're living in this giant house in Napa, California, and... All of a sudden, one morning, there's a knock on the door and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Internal Revenue Service, Organized Crime Task Force, uh, U.S. Postal Inspection Service. Yes, they have people that raid. Mailmen will raid, raid your house also. And all these other alphabet agencies came swarming in, took Cynthia away, said, we'll bring her back when you're through answering our questions. And... That was the first I knew that I was being investigated. That was the first I knew of anything like that. Hmm. Evening, the news broke in all the major newspapers, all this stuff, and been under investigation for several years. Had no idea. Um, you know, I'm getting away with this, right? Hmm. But I did. 
And so that's when we first understood that that's what was going on. And over a period of two to three years from, from that raid to indictment, to going to trial, to being convicted, to being sentenced, um, that was a step-by-step process that we had never encountered before. Civil forfeiture, where they came and take, they take all your stuff, hmm. everything that you own. So you can't afford even an attorney. You have to get an appointed attorney. And I mean, it was, it was brutal. It was one of yeah. those things that was brutal. Did that break me? No. No. It wasn't until I got to prison, convinced that my wife was going to leave me, which, huh, just to give a quick spoiler alert, she didn't through wow. the entire time. So the, the the thing is, when I got to prison, after a couple of years, God reached down. I was... I was here's the deal. I was working in the in the, in the kitchen, right? And in the kitchen, you get have access to yeast, so I could make pruno. And pruno is the alcohol that's made behind bars. It's made out of bread and fruits and that sort of thing. It's called pruno. But it's mm-hmm. alcohol. I was making that, making book for the guys, gambling, doing all this kind of stuff, right? And all of a sudden, one day, I get transferred to the chaplain's office. Hmm. <laughs> what? I get transferred to the chaplain's office. I get there and said, look, look, dude, I, you've made a huge mistake about this. He says, no, I've read your file, and I, I think you'd be a good chaplain's clerk. Hmm. And I said, I don't know what you read that said that, but, you know, I don't want to be here. But he was the kindest, gentlest man, straight as an arrow did, straight sure. as an arrow. Um, but he convinced me to stay. I stayed. And, you know, my job was to know all the different religious groups there there were 13 different religious groups there was christians catholics muslims all the variety of muslims uh jewish uh centeria all these different groups Hmm. my job was to to make sure that they had time everything was set up all this kind of stuff and I, i had to stay every sunday night for the last chapel service where they always brought in volunteers right and so I didn't like it because the same guys would get saved every week on Sunday, right? The same guys would always go up uh, confessing my sins and this and that. Same guys, Dave. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, hypocrites, come on, just stop it. Quit it. And I'm sitting in the back just waiting for this stuff to get over. Just, just come on, get this over. Let me go back to my cell. This is ridiculous. You know, this is dog and pony show. Yeah. But the guy, one particular night, take him through the sinner's prayer, right? And I'm sitting back there going, and I'm, I'm sure Cynthia's going to divorce me. Um, I'm, I'm sure my life's over, all this kind of stuff. What was me? Tough guy, all this kind of stuff. And for some reason, for some reason, hearing the sinner's prayer, hearing the gospel preached, at the very end, something snapped in my brain. Something clicked, a synapse fired that hadn't fired before. And I understood. Wow. I'd never understood before. I'd always put it down before something fired and I started to cry and not a good thing to do in prison. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's not your best choice to cry in prison. So I'm sitting in the back pretending like I've got allergies or something, you know, rubbing my eyes, doing all this kind of stuff. And um, I got saved that night. Wow. And I didn't tell anybody. I'm going to tell them. And it took a couple a couple of weeks, and I finally confessed to the chaplain, hey, look. You know. <laughs> he said, I've been waiting for this. Great. Now let's move on. Let's do some other things. So mm-hmm. that's how I got saved. But it took all of that to get me. And uh, 
it's like I tell people, I wasn't looking to get saved. I wasn't looking to have a personal relationship with God. I wasn't looking for any of that. I was just looking to go back and watch TV or go to myself. One of the two. That's all I was looking for. And all of a sudden, it happened. I didn't ask for it. He did it. But it took a breaking down process in my head. The fear of losing Cynthia, the fear of losing everything, of dying in prison, of all of this kind of stuff before anything could get through to me. Yeah. So, in a nutshell, that's what happened. Where was Cynthia at with her faith? Was she being faithful and loyal to you because of her faith? Or how, where where was her? And I don't, you know, I hate to like no, ask no. you somebody else's testimony, but, no. you know, just kind of, you know, give some context. Well, I mean, look, Cynthia was raised in a large family, large Italian family, uh, Roman Catholic, right? So she had some regular attendance at church. You know, you got to go, you got to go, go to mass. And she's always been very spiritual anyways. You know, I don't think she really realized it until I was gone, but she's a very spiritual person. And her view from, from the way she explained it to me, from my perspective, is that, you know, people were separated for wars and all these other things. She made a commitment to me and she was going to live up to it. And, right. and she loved me and she was, that was it. Now she deepened her relationship with the Lord um, as, as, as I was saved and she's seeing this. I mean, that was a real miracle. You know, that happening I mean, is a real miracle, but it, her faith has been there. I don't, I don't know Roman Catholic faith or whatever you want to call it. But she'd been exposed to that a lot more than I had. Hmm. And and her faithfulness, her love for me is what kept her going. Even when I'm threatening to divorce her, on, on you know, I'm saying on the phone, look, we're through this divorce. I'm, I'm, I'm serving you papers, which I had no way to serve anybody papers. I, you know, I'm in prison. But right. the, the deal was, you know, through all of that, she stayed with me. And um, I, I can only attribute that to God making a mighty woman of God. And, and the, right. you know, her story is a whole lot more interesting than mine. I mean, cause she had to go day to day, raising kids, doing all that stuff on the outside while I'm basically <clears throat> languishing in prison and, and acting like a, a, like an idiot um, for, for, you know, Oh, you're going to leave me. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And uh, I'll tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. I warned you when you invited me, I tell a story. I'll tell you a story. Go for it. There was a time we were talking on the phone and I call, I'm going to divorce you and all this. And she's no, no, no. And she's crying and, you know, I'm divorcing. And she said, if you ever say this again, I'm going to pull you through this phone line and you're going to get another five years for escape. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, funny. Until you realize that they monitor phone calls and looking for keywords. And guess what's at the top of that list? Escape. Escape. That's exactly right. And so I get called lieutenant's office. Lieutenant says, hey, look, you got a woman that's willing to stay with you. All right. And you're acting like this. I need to put you in the hole for 90 days just for being an, an idiot. Not, no, look, I spent time in the hole. Don't get me wrong. I spent some time. But it was always after I was a Christian. I was always a suspect for some reason. Right. You know, he can't be doing the straight now. I spent some time in the hole. It was nice because it was quiet and there weren't a lot of people around. But the that was that was kind of a wake up call to me to stop doing that. You know, to, mm. just stop being that way. And it it didn't work until I was about two years out. <laughs> so it was <laughs> this was earlier. I'm still convinced she's going to leave me. All this kind of stuff. Uh, but God, 
you know, you know but God uh, kept us together, you know, and, and through my idiocy and through her faithfulness and uh, just, just, just his grace kept us together. Hmm. That's powerful. And not only is she dealing with raising the kids by herself, but uh, you know, there, there's also, you know, the, uh, the judging looks from, Oh, she's the wife of, you know, her, you know, almost like she's getting, you know, lassoed with the same things that you did, almost thinking like she's as guilty as you are. So she's and, dealing with that. And that may have been the case, but mm-hmm. it certainly doesn't seem so in, in, in talking with her or others. People embraced her. Oh, they did. And, oh, yeah. And it wasn't just in the church. I'm talking about just coworkers, people in general. Everybody knew I was gone. You know, they yeah. was like, well, don't you at least date Cynthia? Well, no, I'm married. And it was, you know, stunning revelation, you know. And and I, I'm just going to say this, and you can, we can always clean it up later. There's no conjugal visits in prison when you're in mm-hmm. federal prison. None. So you see each other at visitation, and that's it. There's none of that. So yeah. the the whole thing was complete separation. And in reflection, I think that I had made Cynthia an idol in my life, and I think she'd done the same thing with me. And I think God said, "Yes, I intend you to be together." but I don't want you to be idolizing one another and put each other before me. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But at the time it was miserable, but I think that was kind of what was happening there. And we needed that time together to grow, to grow along parallel paths, the paths that would eventually intersect again. And, and that's what happened. That's, that's awesome. Uh, so, uh, how did your, your kids adjust to all this? Cause I know you've got kids and you have seen some beautiful grandbabies on your Facebook feed. Uh, congratulations to that. Thanks. Five uh, grandsons. Five. Wow. Five, all grandsons, all grandsons, four more. We got a baseball team. There we go. Who, uh, do you, have, uh, who's going to be the pitcher? Well, my, our youngest son was a pitcher and uh, went to college on an athletic scholarship as a pitcher which his mom took him to all the games and all the pitching lessons and all that while I was locked up. So I, if there is going to be one, I would suspect it will be the youngest. Oh, there we go. Uh, so uh, you know, your kids, you know, they've got this huge burden to deal with too, because mom's a single mom trying to carry the load. Uh, what, uh, uh, how did they handle it? Uh, and well. have they found faith? Not well. Um, it was one of those, you know, he's deserted us, you know, or written, him, written me off or that sort of thing. She, you know, and, and that's, that's to be expected. You know, that's, sure. that's to be expected no matter what. Um, once you reach teenage years, the years of reason are gone until you reach, in my opinion, your sixties, then, then we're much more reasonable. <laughs> but the, yeah, I mean, it's difficult on, on all of them. Yeah. You know, there was, there was an estrangement and that sort of thing um, that has much improved. I mean, you know, it's, you, you miss the years, you know, of them growing sure. up and doing all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, there's been some strain there. Have they come to faith? The youngest, yeah. Um, right. The other two, um, I think so. It's, it's kind. Of, they don't really want to hear me talk about God very much, in in the sense of you know they're, they're still adjusting. I think that once I'm dead and gone, and they see that I didn't go back into crime and that sort of thing, I think things will get better. <laughs> that particular <laughs> point. <laughs> so uh, you, you get out, you, you start rebuilding your life. Uh, what? What path did you take in as you came out? Did you immediately go to writing the book about your testimony, or, or, or what did you try to do once you got free? Um, try and learn about things. When I went to prison, Dave, there's no cell phones. Mm-hmm. There's no internet. 
Nothing like that at all, right? Uh, when I first heard about the internet, I thought it was a giant library resource that you could do research with and everything was true, you know? Uh, <laughs> what was I naive? I'd never had a cell phone except the ones that I saw the guards smuggle into inmates. I had never had one in my hand. I'd never used one. Um, when I when I went to prison, <clears throat> Starbucks was, was just a startup type of thing, you know? Right. So uh, the coffee improved while I was gone, uh, which I'm, I'm grateful for. But the, the other things, I had to relearn everything. I also had to learn some people skills. Mm. Um, I, was, I was a leader of the church in prison. Um, that When I got saved and went through all that, I became the preacher. I became the counselor. I became all of those things. The, the chaplain just turned it completely over to me. Wow. And, and so I, I was able to do that. Um, and I will tell you something. Um, uh, this brother's going to stab you in the back means something entirely different in prison than it does outside of prison. Okay? <laughs> Yeah. So I mean, it was it was it was that type of thing. Fist fights over doctrine. Um, you know, crazy. Why I can't believe that. <laughs> believe it. Believe it. You know, you can lose your salvation. No, you can't. Yes, you can. Talking each other up at this point, right? Um, <laughs> you're a Calvinist because you know you look this way or or whatever the case may be. But I mean, getting out, um, and coming into a church for the first time was um, unsettling. Hmm. Okay. I knew all the guys in the, in the church. We had probably 100, 120 people that would attend um, every week. They would come to classes that I was teaching. Um, they would come to services. They would do all this kind of stuff, right? Hmm. And I knew every single one of them. Some of them were from Muslim to Nation of Islam, uh, Jewish people, stuff like that, that would come to the services because they knew me. They saw how I lived. And they were willing to do that. Uh, so I'm expecting something similar to that when I come rolling out. And it wasn't that way. You know, it's not designed to be there. We're not all living in cells next to each other or in, in a compound, you know, surrounded by razor wire. Mm -hmm. And so the relationships to me, and I'm not blaming the church or anyone at all. My expectation was that, when you say, okay, we're going to be family. That was what I was used to. And, and it wasn't like that. And so it was, it was disconcerting. Okay. So we don't talk to each other from Sunday to Wednesday or we don't, what, what is this all about? You know, how are we family? How are we whatever at this point? Cause I was used to that. I was used to that in prison. You know, mm -hmm. th there was no second Baptist church down the road that you could go to. There was one right. Christian church that you attended. There wasn't anything like that. And and so I was disappointed in right. the in, in the relationships there. And, and everybody came up with this genius idea. We're going to have small groups. And so you go to small groups. You know, I started small groups. Okay, go to small groups. And it's like, there's no connection. We're going to eat some sort of cake, maybe drink some coffee or something and talk about some stuff. But that was it. Hmm. And I don't see you again. There's no calling. Hey, how you doing? There's no dropping by the cell with, you know, prison burritos or prison nachos and saying, hey, let's sit down and eat. None of that. It was so disconnected that I had trouble understanding that or even trying to adapt into that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm not saying church and I'm not saying go to go to prison to have great church. I'm not saying that. It's just what I was exposed to after I was saved. 
Right. So my perspective was just completely uh, lost on, on me and on everyone else around me. And the fact of being an ex-con, the fact of being an educated ex-con who does know scripture, who does know exegesis from eyes of Jesus, who does know the difference between infralapsarianism and superlapsarianism, the fact knowing the that can intimidate some folks. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, you know, what's he after? Recidivism, recidivism rates are high. You know, the return rate to prison is high. Right. We'll just wait and see if he slips up. Type thing. So that was that was my that's the perspective I had. And whether that was actually the case or not, I don't know. I just know I didn't feel connected. Yeah. What uh, changed, or was there a change in that church uh, where you found connection? I, I I'm waiting to really have that kind of connection again. To be honest mm. with you. Um, in my opinion, sometimes we get locked into tradition. Uh, this is what we do. You know, anything you do three times, in my opinion, is a tradition. All right, and and the the little petty arguments and clicks and 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 that sort of I I couldn't quite understand, and I still don't. I'll be honest with you, I still don't. So I try and fly under the radar. I try and be. I, I'll tell you what I call myself is the uh, patron saint of lost causes. If they don't know what to do with somebody, they send them to me. And, you know, mm. First of all, it was ex-cons. Then people had drug issues. And then just became other people you know, that I can talk to. They, we talk back and forth. There's not this formal counseling. We're not going through psychotherapy. Um, but there's this idea of people that you can be real with and people that you can't be real with. You know, And, and so I look for people that we can be real with. And just that's enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's enough. You know, it's, it's like I've said before. I don't usually go to pancake breakfasts at all because their pancakes aren't as good as the ones that I cook, you know, <laughs> but what about the fellowship? You know, that type of thing. Is it really fellowship if you're just hanging around for a couple hours and then, you know, the rest of the week you're doing other stuff. I mean, to me, it's, uh, I, I get it. I'm not glorifying the prison church. I'm just saying that when I got saved, the type of church that I was in, we hung around each other a lot. There was yeah. no choice, you know? And, and I enjoyed the fact that we could watch each other grow and, you know, kind of keep each other in check at times, you know, to, to make yeah. sure that, that we were, you know, hey, come on, you don't need to do that, you know, that type of thing. So I don't know if that's helpful or answers any question. There's not some great grand glory. I was embraced. No, nah, not really. <laughs> it really doesn't work. And I don't blame them. I get it. I understand where it comes from. And it's that human nature of, like you said, almost expecting that recidivism. I can't even say the word. Um, Yeah, going back to prison, they're almost expecting that shoe to drop, so they don't want to invest in somebody that is maybe going that way. But then you think about it, investing in somebody may prevent that from happening. And but it's a tough thing for for humans to wrap their mind around because we see so many people put on a good show for a little bit and then. Then they fall, and then you know it's yeah. heartbroken or taken advantage of. Yeah. So it, it, it's very tough. It's tough on both sides. I had a I had a long prison sentence, so I would see guys complete their two or three year prison sentence, be gone for a year, and then come back with a new sentence. Mm-hmm. That were very involved in the church, that were very good teachers or preachers or that sort of thing, or or worship leaders or that sort, of, and they would come back, you know, and and. We never asked why. None of us. That was one of the rules. You don't ask why. You just meet them where they're at. And okay, <laughs> let's go. You know, if we can help. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, there's a 
forgive the professor part for coming out here for just for just a moment. Forgive me. Forgive me, Dave, for I'm about to sin. We live in the Western culture mm-hmm. right? and our Western culture is all about me, the individual. The church is not a Western construct. It is an Eastern construct where the Eastern civilizations are more about family and community, um, mm-hmm. being a servant, helping others, doing that, being part of something as opposed to being individualistic. That's what the church teaches us, right? We're part of the family. We're part of the church. We're part, And so it's hard for folks who are from the Western civilization to, I have to give up my individuality, my independence, all of that kind of stuff, and be part of this. Hmm. You know, so it's, it's, it's a difficult situation. I'm, I'm not criticizing churches. I'm just telling you the facts. That's the way it is. Um, it's, it's an Eastern construct. And it's a beautiful, magnificent Eastern construct that we sometimes struggle with, with this idea of giving up self for others. Yeah, absolutely. So the, uh, the book, uh, a prisoner's perspective, uh, when did, uh, when did you feel the Lord leading to write that? And, uh, uh, what is it a devotional or is it just autobiographical? Um, um what's it about? Yeah, right. Okay. First of all, writing it. Okay. I had my probation officer, tell me I should write a book. Uh, a lot of people that I met, you should write a book, you should write a book. And I didn't want to write a book. It was too painful. I didn't want to go back and relive this, this stuff that I put my family through, that I'd gone through. It's embarrassing, right? So I, I just resisted for 10 years. <laughs> for 10 years, <laughs> I'm not writing this thing. And God began to put it heavily on me, this idea of I want you to write this, this memoir, right? It's a memoir. And it's from my perspective. And, and I said, nah, look, I love you. I do. Just don't ask me to do this. And besides, I'm pretty busy. You know, I got a lot of stuff I'm doing right now, God. Really busy. I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life. I'm teaching. I'm doing this, that, and the other thing. Uh, you know, we're settling into a new life in Texas and then mm-hmm. living on an island. And, all oh, this is wonderful and all. And, and I said, I just, I don't have time. <laughs> uh few weeks later hurricane harvey hit this area hard yeah and we had a bunch of stuff that we had to do for the house the fence was tore up roof was tore up hurricanes are hurricanes right right well suddenly i had all this time on my hands Hmm. and i don't know if you've ever dealt with contractors but it's kind of like um i'm gonna be there i'm gonna be and they don't show up all right so you have lots of time waiting for the contractors particularly after a hurricane right so he says and I remember praying, and, and look, my prayer style is a little bit different sometimes. I learned to pray from a guy named Brother Lawrence. I don't know if you ever read the book, Practice of His Presence. I mean, it's more of a conversation than it is, you know, what a lot of people lose in a prayer. But we have this conversation ongoing throughout the day. And I remember clearly, well, you got time now, son. Hmm. So I sat down and wrote it in about three months and just poured my heart out try to put scripture into it, you know, to explain stuff that was going on. And I finished it and figured, oh, that's it. I'm done. Oh, no. Oh, no. Your book needs to be edited. So I sent it to an editor. The editor sends it back and says, okay, you're being a little preachy in these cases. You need to take the. So then it's a rewrite. Then it's all this other stuff. So that's how he got me to write it was he sent a hurricane. So <laughs> now, now he tells me to write something. I'm on it. <laughs> I don't like hurricane. I don't like all the stuff that goes with it, but that's exactly what happened. I wrote, and when I finished it, 
the house was finished. All the rebuilding, all the stuff that had to be done, it was finished at the same time. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, so it's uh, called A Prisoner's Perspective. Uh, if anybody's interested, uh, they uh, find it at mikesavagebooks.com slash books. Uh, and that's where you also find uh, the uh, Savage Perspective uh, podcast. Yeah, don't be put off by the title, uh, Prisoner's Perspective, because the second part is the redemption of a criminal mastermind. Um, the, the the reason for that was that the government classified me as a criminal mastermind. At that time, the federal government classified everyone as a criminal mastermind. If you were slinging dope on the street, oh, criminal mastermind. So it's, it's ironic. It's not, <laughs> it's not <laughs> to be. If I was a mastermind, I wouldn't have gotten caught. So right. just kind of keep that in mind as, as don't be put off by the title if you decide to read it. Yeah. So uh, uh, if you want to check it out, check it out at uh, mikesavagebooks.com uh, slash books. Uh, find the podcast at the same website. Uh, in the uh, in the show notes, you can find the link to our episode where I got to chat with you and your lovely wife. We we had a lot of fun on that show. Oh, man. I look, I take I take my wife seriously. Oh, I'm sorry. I take God seriously. I take my wife seriously. I take most of my family seriously, but after that, Dave, everything's up for jokes after that. Okay. I see a lot of humor in a lot of places and people don't see it. Yeah. And, and I'm the same way. And uh, sometimes it, it gets me an elbow in the ribs or uh, a, a, an eye roll that you can feel on the Richter scale, but oh, uh, yeah, yeah. and don't, don't get me started with me wanting to be tempted to use my prison words. Cynthia pointed, don't use your prison words. Okay. I'm sorry. Get <laughs> away from that. Uh, those are normally safe for traffic. Correct. Correct. When I also have to get saved over and over again when I'm driving in traffic. I get it right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, forgive me for what I'm about to say on this road trip. You know, it's rush hour. <laughs> Please keep my hands on the steering wheel. I don't want any fingers free for any reason as we move on through yes. this. Right. Uh, if your middle finger causes you to sin, cut it off and cast into the fire. I think yeah, that's I what Jesus said. Yes. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to hold on to the steering wheel. All right. All right, well, uh, Mike, there are two segments that we wrap every show up with. Uh, and, of course, as an English major, my English teachers are cringy because I ended that last sentence with a preposition. But uh, we're going to end with uh, our two segments, uh, the interrogation, seven quick questions that probably wouldn't have otherwise fit in our conversation. And then I'll ask you for your wise counsel for anybody that wants to use their gifts, their talents, their passions, uh, even their experiences uh, to honor and glorify God. So let's jump into the interrogation. Well, what? This is, Sorry about like, that. Like this has never happened to me before. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By real cops. All right, so go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> and postal service workers, apparently. And yeah, everybody yeah. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> Our first question uh, is going to be, um, best Christmas gift you've ever been given? I've ever been given? Mm-hmm. When Cynthia and I finally decided that we didn't have to give gifts to each other and that we could just spend the time together and be thrilled about that, that was the best gift because I didn't have to brainstorm what to get her and I didn't have to come up with some goofy thing for her to give me. Nice. Question number two, uh, what's your favorite Christmas song? What's the one from Die Hard? Oh, no. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I know. Die Hard's not a Christmas movie. Sure it is. You just need to look at it from a Christian perspective. My favorite Christian or my favorite Christmas song is White Christmas. Okay. All right. Question number three. Uh, who is the most interesting person you've ever met? Robin Williams. Wow. Nice. Yeah, he was on my show a couple of times. Robin Williams. He used to live in the area. We, we, it was 
oh, when he came on the show, it was over. You know, it was just like, forget the commercials it's on. So, yeah, Robin Williams, hands down. (laughs) Hands down. Nice. That was awesome. Uh, Number four, uh, what keeps you up at night? Right now, nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean, this is, I get the best sleep now that, that, than I ever have in my entire life um, because, and this is going to sound, I know God's in control. And wow. there's, there's absolutely, and that's, again, the, the result of the prayer life that I have from, from you know, learning from the Brother Lawrence book, The Practice of His Presence, this conversation. This, you know, he knows me and, and, and he shows me more of him. And so there's really nothing that keeps me up at night anymore. Nice. Uh, very uh, a lot of people very envious because we say there's no fear there's no worry uh, no condemnation in Christ but uh, we still want to keep picking up those broken chains yeah well well look dude let me tell you something here uh, whenever we're confronted with something bad I think I've been through worse hmm. all right I've been through worse you know you worry about bills you worry about I've been through worse than you can imagine and so there's nothing out here that's that's going to keep me up awake at night nice. Next question is, uh, when you were uh, a kid, what did you want to be uh, when you grew up? An astronaut. My dad worked for Bendix Corporation, which was part of NASA. We lived in, in Florida near Daytona Beach, or, or Cocoa Beach. He commuted back and forth. We knew people in the space program, all that kind of stuff. And I was sure I was going to be an astronaut when I grew up. The problem with that was I don't do well with linear math. That's mm. a problem. And I'm a big guy. It wouldn't fit in those small space capsules back then. Now it wouldn't be a problem, but I'm too old to go into space. But that's, I was sure that was what I wanted to be was an astronaut. Well, don't doubt yourself. William Shatner just went to space. So maybe yeah, yeah. he's short. Okay. He's short. He's, he's not 6'3. <laughs> he's short. All right. Question number six. Uh, we know there is uh, no condemnation in Christ, but what's a uh, regret that you've had since finding Christ? Putting uh, false expectations, no- putting false expectations on the church. Um, making my perspective, you know, try and get them to conform to that. That was a mistake and, and is a mistake. Church is the church. Okay. People are people, you know, and, and what, it's one of the things I teach in psychology. When, when people come to the faith, they're bringing their baggage with them. Mm-hmm. And so we need to help them deal with that baggage and grow. All right. And so my idea that it's going to be like it was in prison. We're all going to hang around. We're going to eat prison nachos and everything's going to be great. That was a false expectation. And I really regret doing that um, to the church early on. Hmm. Good stuff. All right. Uh, final question of the interrogation segment is uh, what is something God has uh, done that has given you an affirmation lately? What is there something that he's done uh, maybe in the, during the pandemic, it's just giving you a sense of affirmation lately. Yeah, I was teaching a lot um, in classes, you know, actual live classes where there's actual human beings in mm. front of you and, and where I could I could take my professor glasses here and have them at the bottom of my nose and say, why would you think that is the case regarding psychology? That type of thing, right? Mm. And what he's giving me affirmation from is I haven't taught in a classroom in over a year. Mm-hmm. But I'm teaching virtually, you know, not real students, virtual students, right? Because they're on the internet. Um, but he's affirmed to me that you can be just as effective online if you're speaking the truth and you care about people. And mm-hmm. I've seen students grow. Um, I've been able to counsel some students to help them grow. 
and and online, man, online, not in person, not across from yeah. you know in a coffee shop, but online and be able to make a difference in people's lives. And 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 so for me, uh, that's been a real affirmation that I I wasn't sure that was going to really happen. Wow, that's good good to know. It, and it, it is such a hard battle to know if you can make a difference, especially as me as a comedian you don't get necessarily the, the level of feedback that you do uh, in, in person, because even if you have the mics on, it gets all jarbled and you don't get the feedback. So when God can show you that you can be just as effective virtually as in person, you know, I think that's uh, really powerful. Yeah. When they're little tiny pictures <laughs> on a zoom thing versus seeing them in person, watching them sweat because they know they've got an exam coming and, mm-hmm. and, and you're going, that's, but I've realized that this online thing is 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 good. It's it's working. It can be used to God's glory and 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 to work well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, Mike, the final final question we ask every guest uh, for anyone that's looking to use uh, their gifts, their talents, their passions, uh, even uh, seeing God redeem their experiences. Uh, what would your wise counsel be for them if they want to use their gifts for God's glory? Right. Really, something that I learned the hard way. Right. Ask God, what do you want me to do? And then look around you and see who's there, what's there, what are the opportunities. It doesn't mean standing behind a pulpit all the time. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to lead a Bible study or a small group. It Mm -hmm. means that he's going to bring people into your lives that he wants you to help or that can help you. Be open to something other than putting God in a box about what you expect him to do. Look around you. It's happening right now. This very moment, he's showing you exactly who he wants you to minister to and what he wants you to do. That would be my advice. How wise is that? Well, it's coming from an ex-con. I, I don't know. But what I, what I am saying is that's been my experience. Uh, don't ignore what's immediately happening around you. Yeah. But let's not forget, you're an educated ex-con. That, <laughs> educated. <laughs> deadly, deadly educated ex-con. Theology, psychology, ooh, you're in trouble now. You can mess with their brain and their heart all at the same time. That's right. And it's, uh, you know, as Uncle Ben said, right before he dies, he says, with great power comes great responsibility. Right. right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of Star Trek stuff we could talk about, too, but I, I, I really don't want to do that at this point. Let's not ruin <laughs> Let's not ruin the ambiance of Christianity to bring Star Trek into this. But, look, I, I really appreciate you letting me come on. Um, I appreciate uh, being able to, to talk about what God has done and, and who he is in my life and, and the life of my family, especially my wife, Cynthia, who is, we're coming up. Oh, no, we already did. Oh, anniversary was 32 years. Wow. Been married, 32. And um, next year, I'll have been out for as many years as I was in while we were married, which is brilliant. Wow. Very yeah. nice. Well, congratulations on that. Happy uh, belated anniversary to you and, you. and Cynthia. And, uh, uh, as long as the Lord tarries, uh, blessings for another 32 years. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm hoping it's tomorrow that he arrives. I'm ready. <laughs> I have to stand up after this interview. I'm a little worried about that with the knees and everything, you know, but look, it's always a pleasure. It was great to have you on the show when you were with us. Um, I'm a big fan of, of, of what you do. Um, improv is great. And the fact that you can do it in churches and so forth and do it to the glory of God is, is just terrific. Congratulations on that. Thank you so much. And uh, for our audience, uh, we'll be back next week uh, with another interview live uh, with uh, one of the members of our uh, Well-Versed Comedy team, uh, Nikki Haynar. Uh, she'll be uh, joining us uh, 
share her story, her testimony, and talk about the challenges of uh, raising two kids. Uh, she just had her second baby this fall uh, and also trying to be a comedian, a mom, a wife, and all that. So it's going to be a, a fun week next week here on the Gifts of Glory show. Uh, we hope to see you then. And, uh, Mike, thank you again uh, for coming on. We'll uh, I'll be talking to you soon. My pleasure. Uh, God bless. God bless you. Take care. Mm-hmm.